Rating. I'm Daystar Eld. And I'm Alexander Wales. And today we're going to be talking about what is rational writing. For those who don't know who we are, I'm the author of Pokemon The Origin of Species, which is still ongoing, and various articles and reviews on the internet. I also wrote uh, Daystar's Remix of Rationality, an expansion of the first four chapters of Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, to uh, smooth out the early part of the story and add context for those not familiar with the canon. Yep, I really like those, by the way. Thanks. Um... So I wrote Metropolitan Man, I think it's the most popular thing, uh, Branches on the Tree of Time, A Bluer Shade of White. I think those are probably the top three right now. I wrote uh, Shadows of the Limelight, which uh, is complete web serial, and I'm writing Glim Morden right now. I also write a lot of short stories that are not as involved or complex, just a page or two about uh, the logistical operation of the Death Star 2 or things like that. Uh, that was fantastic, yeah. So, what is rational writing? First off, when we talk about rational writing, we're talking about fiction that falls under the genre of rational or rationalist. And to me, rational fiction is fiction that does its best to ask questions about its world and characters' choices and provide answers that make sense and are consistent with each other. What would you define it as? Um, I have a couple different definitions. I think the one that I go with most often is that rational writing is about not using artistic license. There's a, a rule of cool where the audience is willing to suspend their disbelief if something is sufficiently cool. They don't they don't care whether you have a flaming laser sword or like jetpack boots. As long as it's cool enough they'll accept it. And rational fiction is mostly about not taking that artistic license to, and earning the cool moments instead. Or the same applies to uh, the rule of drama or the rule of romance and things like that. Yep. And um, the reason I'd, I'd consider it like a genre in and of itself is because it, it kind of evokes a specific intent in the story writer and taste in the readers. Like there's the setting kind of genres where sci-fi lets you know that there's going to be space battles or advanced technology or some kind of exploration of scientific principles and there's the fantasy, which is magic or medieval times or some alternate world. And that's different from what I would refer to as the intent genres, like romance or mystery. Like mystery genres about there's a crime, there's going to be evidence, there's going to be hints, and the reader can try to solve them and figure out who committed the crime. Uh, and that's kind of similar to the rationalist genre in the sense that whenever there's something going on in the story, the writers trying to purposefully make them understandable, make them predictable, so that the readers can follow along. Yeah, and one, one of my other definitions that I use for rational fiction is that it's thinky fiction, that there's mm -hmm. some element of thought on the part of the author or the reader, and you're not just supposed to consume it like popcorn. Mm -hmm. It's not a, a Michael Bay type of experience. Yeah, it tends toward more introspective um, characters, at least the protagonist. Uh, which I guess raises the question then is the distinction between rational writing and rationalist writing. So maybe we can say rational writing would be, you know, a, a method of writing, while rationalist writing is the genre itself. 
Um, I think rationalist fiction is more about subject matter to some extent. It's Mm -hmm. specifically about learning and science and certain other thinky things, right? That, That might be my very loose definition is that rational writing is thinky writing and rational rationalist writing is writing about thinky things. It's sort of a a subject matter and style distinction to some extent. Yeah. So I guess we could say that rational writing or a rational story is one where the writer is not giving in to convenience or rule of cool and is trying to answer all the possible questions that might come up about their world and characters' choices, and that a rationalist story is one where you've got at least one character, probably the protagonist, who is themselves explicitly trying to figure things out and think deeply about things and examine their their thinking and their biases and solve problems. Yeah. Uh, One of the things that I've heard commonly about rational fiction is some people think that it's too synonymous with good writing because that we have that um, mm-hmm. bullet point list on the sidebar of the rational subreddit. And in brief, it is uh, nothing happens because the plot requires it. Factions are driven into conflict by beliefs and values. Um, characters solve problems through intelligent application of knowledge and resources. And the rules are same consistent. And a lot of people will say that that's just good writing. Those are just writing tips right. for, for good writing. But I think the big difference there is that sorry i'm trying to think of how to phrase this it's okay one thing that can be said is is the distinction between good writing for the purpose of teaching the reader something about rationality or thinking or their own biases is somewhat different qualitatively than the distinction between just not doing writing that doesn't make sense or plots that don't make sense yeah i think i guess what i would say is that rational fiction is distinct from good writing in that I think that you can have good writing and break rules. I think mm-hmm. rule of cool is, is perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sometimes shake my head at it. If I come out of movie theater and it's like half an hour later and I'm thinking about what happened. And then I think, well, that didn't make that much sense, but I think, yeah. I think that it's perfectly fine. A lot of people think of people holding the idiot ball. And I think the idiot ball is always bad because when you see that idiot ball that's you recognizing it that someone is acting out of character and then that's driving the plot and it very quickly breaks the immersion like right in the moment right and i think that there are ways that you can write not rationally that break the rational rules and it's still good writing Mm -hmm. some examples of that could be seen in Stories that are not trying to explain everything, that are purposely trying to keep certain things vague. There's a paragraph on the TV Tropes page for Rational Fic. It says, um, the number of tropes Rational Fic attempts to avoid, which are on the bad writing index, might suggest there's some sort of universal principle of good writing, which is not the case. Even those tropes are not bad, and many Rational Fics fail to avoid them in any case, or fall into other traps. Lord of the Rings would not necessarily have benefited from a clearly explained magic system, nor the three-penny opera from a logical downer ending, nor the Dark Knight from making the Joker a well-intentioned extremist. So some of those you can argue, like, you know, maybe some people would like to read the Lord of the Rings with a clearly explained magic system. Or maybe some people would like to see a Batman story where the Joker is a well-intentioned extremist or has a justification for his worldview and actions besides just wanting to watch the world burn or for the laughs or whatever. Yeah, I I would definitely want to read that. Mm -hmm. 
but the story works like it still works without that. It still works just as well with the Joker as a agent of chaos or with the Lord of the Rings as magic being a obscure system. Yeah, and I think one of the bullet points of the the rules of the fictional world are sane and consistent. A lot of rational fiction to me is that those rules are exposed and it's yeah. not just the audience's willing suspension of disbelief because in Lord of the Rings, when reading that, the audience members will assume that the rules of magic are seen and consistent, that they make sense somehow to someone, but they never are exposed to what those rules are. That just is assumed that those rules are there somewhere in the back. Right. And a lot of fun can come from deconstructions or reconstructions, come from kind of poking holes in a world's structure, finding things that don't make sense, explaining them in ways that make sense. And those don't necessarily have to be rational stories or rationalist stories, but they still operate on the same idea that like we can find ways to make this more rational or identify what's irrational about this. And what makes them rational stories would be the reconstruction of them in a fashion that deliberately attempts to create a, I hesitate to say better story, but maybe a story that um, is consistent with itself yeah. and doesn't doesn't take it for granted that the unexplained things will just be forgotten or not addressed. Right. And and the deconstruction-reconstruction aspect, uh, there's, I think, a good reason that they tie in so closely to rational fiction, and that's why a lot of rational fiction that you see is deconstruction or a reconstruction. Yeah, there's also been a lot of discussion about the kinds of stories and mediums that lend themselves to rationality. And um, in this podcast, we're probably going to be talking for the most part about writing, uh, since we both primarily are writers um, yep. in this in this genre. Um, but we can also discuss, you know, video games, movies, TV shows, and all those things, while keeping in mind that it might be harder or easier in some of them for some of them to do. Yeah. The yeah. So what's a example of a story that you thought while you watched it for the first time, like this would be really great as a rational story. Yeah. Um, I think most of the ones that I had that strong desire for, I've, I've written <laughs> <laughs> um, like, like Superman. I had always thought Superman gets a lot of crap as being a boring, invincible hero. And that's not, that that's true in some of the comic comic books, but it's, it's not true in all of them for Superman. And I had always loved the Superman stories that took him as this big, invincible force that still was human and had human flaws. And Mm -hmm. people would react to him in the way that they would react to a god instead of just saying, oh, thanks, Superman, for saving my cat. And then he flies in the air. Terminator was another one. And I wrote uh, Branches on the Tree of Time because I liked the Terminator movies especially the second one mm-hmm. but they aren't really that much about time travel or ai for that matter or yeah or ai for that matter um especially genesis they just <laughs> they're just using that as a conceit yeah so that they can have action scenes and chase scenes and it's not about the things that it's ostensibly mm-hmm. about so that's another kind of important uh, difference. If something is, is seen or heard in a rational story, if it comes up in a rationalist story, then the understanding is that it won't just be there as a prop or a convenience to the the writing or the stories or the characters uh, getting from point A to point B. So if, for example, in the Pokemon story, 
you've got this whole world full of technology, this whole world that's really only made possible because of specific technology. And there's lots of different aspects of the Pokemon world that you can rationalize and try to have make sense. Um, the elephant in the room is the technology of the Pokeball itself. Right. And it's one of the major struggles is to try and explain how the Pokeball would be used in a society that is clearly making use of it without having them all just be idiots that aren't using it in much more efficient or or understandable ways. But beyond that also, there's, you know, clearly the processing power that's required for Pokeball technology to work. Like, got to explain that in terms of how far their computers have advanced, um, in terms of how able they are to use their computers for far more um, constructive means than, than they do in the games or the TV show. Um, you know, at some point, there's the Pokemon Porygon, uh, who's an artificially created Pokemon, according as according to the um, canon. And the question has to arise, like, in a, in a rational story, okay, well, if they're able to create Porygon, what else can they create? Or why is po- Porygon the only one they've created, and why don't they make better Pokemon than Porygon? And those questions ideally should be answered at some point in a rational story about Pokemon, because otherwise you're just ignoring things that are convenient to ignore, uh, which happens far too often in non-rational fiction. Iron Man, for example, they went a few movies with this quite advanced artificial intelligence assisting Tony Stark in, you know, making the Iron Man suits and reading his emails and, and running his household and everything like that. And it wasn't until the second Avengers movie, Age of Ultron, uh, where he basically has the idea like, hey, why don't I just make... Well, the third Iron Man movie actually is where he started thinking, why don't I just make a bunch of suits and have them, have them, you know, why do people need to be in the suits? Why don't I just have an AI direct them? And um, Age of Ultron um, was the movie where he was basically like, for the whole world, it's better to have uh, artificial intelligence protecting it with, you know, powered suits rather than relying on just a handful of superpowered beings. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons a lot of people, you know, didn't necessarily like the third Iron Man movie or didn't like Age of Ultron as much as the others. But for me, watching those movies, like the fact that they brought up those questions and in some way tried to address them is really appreciated. Like I, I love when movies try to do that or media tries to do that. Yeah. I think the uh, genre of the humongous mecha is, is mm-hmm. probably one of the worst offenders in terms of what they want is these humongous mechas that look vaguely like people most of the time fighting each other in space or whatever and they do the minimum necessary to justify it sometimes not even that you're just the audience is just asked to accept that they're humongous mecha fighting each other in space that's Mm -hmm. that's our premise it's what we're going with don't try to think about what kind of technologies are necessary Mm -hmm. for fabrication and motor control and that kind of thing i think you can get away with a little bit of that in rational fiction. Yeah. You don't need to, uh, we'll talk about magic systems in a future episode, but I don't think that you need to drill straight down to the, uh, like atomic or quantum layer to explain things. But I think you do need to have coherent explanations. Right. And all that can be just part of the sci-fi genre where there are hand waved and not fully explained technology because they're impossible or incredibly advanced. The main difference in rational fiction would be that someone has to raise the, maybe not the obvious questions to all viewers, but the ones that should be raised 
and should be obvious in a real world where that's really something that's that's going on. So if they're trying to build these giant mechas for fighting, is this really the most efficient use of resources? Like, why is one giant mecha better than a dozen smaller, more agile fighter jets or spaceships that have the same type of weaponry that would use the same resources? Yeah. And again, that's not to say that this is the only kind of genre that has enjoyable plots or that every plot has to be rational to be enjoyable. Um, when you mentioned drilling down to the quantum level, the example that comes to mind immediately is, I'm, I'm going to butcher the name, I'm sure, but uh, Gurren Lagann. Yep. I don't know the full, I don't know how to pronounce the full name. Um, very much the kind of show that doesn't, that openly acknowledges and flaunts the fact that it is irrational. And yet, for many people, it is still a very enjoyable show. It's very entertaining. Um, you know, it can be inspiring for many people. Um, and it just, like, there's a very token effort to explain anything in it. But at one point, the giant mechas are literally throwing galaxies at each other. Yeah. Um, and clearly ridiculous, um, things like that, that, can still make for a good story um, as long as the writers aren't taking themselves too seriously and are acknowledging, like, this is all rule of cool. Yeah. Um, and a lot of a lot of stories will give you just enough explanation so that they mm-hmm. can say, hey, we explained it. Don't, don't ask any more questions. It's just to up the suspension of disbelief. It's not about actually having an explanation for it. They'll just say something, something quantum, and that's all we need for time travel or... <laughs> computers or anything right or they'll they'll hang a lampshade on it and have one of the characters in the story just say but how does that work and then either brush the question off or have it be in a moment where they don't really have time to answer it yep uh so they they are basically nodding to the audience and being like look we know this doesn't really make sense but just go with it and i was a huge fan of mst3k as a kid and the one of the major lines in their in their opening theme song is basically just sit back and relax and don't worry about all the science questions that are making you wonder how this is even possible. Yeah. And the real struggle of rational writing can be phrased in some ways as how do we make a story entertaining while not ignoring those questions or, or ignoring as few of those questions as possible. Yeah. Because we, generally speaking, are an audience that does want smarter stories, does want stories that try to address these questions, does like to learn through our entertainment. Right. And I want... I want fiction that's about logistics and like trade treaties. If you have a, a teleporter right. who is like going from America to Europe, what about like borders and customs and invasive species they might be carrying and things like that? And you don't really get much of that. And that's what I like about rational fiction is that you can get that, uh, especially in writing. Cause you can just, you can take a break from the plot for a while to talk about, invasive species yeah. are introduced by a, a teleporter. Yeah. And um, for people who aren't really familiar with what rational writing is and for rationality as a as a genre, it basically came about because Eliza Yudkowsky wrote HPMOR, Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, and this was such a unique kind of story that there was a huge hunger for. Um, and the num- I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. It's one of the wi- widest read and widest reviewed um, fan fictions, at the very least Harry Potter fan fictions. Yep. And I think it just goes to show that, you know, as much as there is a huge audience for the blow things up and don't ask questions uh, stories out there, there's many people who want smarter stories and watch and experience stories that are more in-depth yeah. uh, and ask more questions and answer more questions. Yeah, and you want to learn something from a story, or failing that, you want to feel like you've learned something. Mm-hmm. 
that's one of, one of the reasons I like to just occasionally while writing a story dip into something that was interesting me and that I researched and mm-hmm. it's relevant to the story, but here is it, here it is presented to the reader. There's a part in uh, Metropolitan Man that is talking about these orphan trains that they had in the 1920s where they they had all these farmers who needed labor in the Midwest and they had all these young unwanted children in orphanages in the big cities. So they stuck these young kids on these trains and made these orphan trains that would go out to the Midwest and these kids would be adopted in as workers for the farm. And that's really fascinating to me how their society did that back in the 1920s. And to me, rational fiction is to some extent about exposing the reader to ideas they might not have seen before and little bits of history. I really enjoy bits of science, things like that. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about some of the challenges of rational fiction, because the process of writing it is what this podcast is, what it's going to be largely about. And we're going to have, you know, I'm sure many episodes on very specific things. Some of those things are, for example, the process of writing characters smarter than yourself, the process of knowing things, uh, having characters know things that you don't know. And many writers obviously have to research a ton. Anyone who writes any kind of cop book either was a journalist themselves or a cop themselves or knows cops. Someone, you know, they have resources in the real world they can talk to and try to get the details right and the facts right. The science fiction genre obviously has people that are trying to explain or use real scientific examples in their world, in their work. Um, and what primarily... Like, all those things obviously still apply to the rational genre, to the rationalist genre. We want to make anything that's mentioned, whether it takes place in this world or, or the past or anything like that, be as, as realistic and truthful as possible. But the unique element would be, I guess, human psychology, human rationality, the biases, what, what makes people think the way they do, what makes people act the way they do, systems of human interaction, government, society, things like that. Yeah, and I think research is one of the biggest hurdles in writing rational fiction mm-hmm. because if you're writing about a subject that you don't know that much about you want to do your background research so that it passes the sniff test at the very least and ideally so that an expert could look at it and say yeah that's that's how things are uh, i think the other big thing that i find challenging is portraying human psychology in a non-rational person i guess mm-hmm. or per- portraying someone's flawed reasoning without them understanding that it's flawed. Right. It's a great way of putting how how hard the struggle sometimes can be to have two characters that have either the same information and different values or different values but the same information, and both of those people can make very different decisions and lead to very different actions without necessarily being maybe wrong. Maybe maybe one of them is wrong and maybe one of them is right, but they both both their actions and their beliefs and things make sense from an outside observer. Right. No one's just thinking like, well, that that's dumb that he does that, or it's, it doesn't make sense that he does that, or he should have done this instead. Like, yeah, you maybe you can say it's better if he'd done this, but with the data they had, with the values they had, what they did makes sense. And that's very important to me, at least, as a reader of rational fiction and, and non-rational fiction. I find uh, different values to be the easier one mm-hmm. than, than different processes. Um Different processes, if you're trying to approach a problem through a different method of thinking. Because someone who has different values than me, I can at least think to myself, okay, if I have those values, mm-hmm. what would I do? And I find that 
process fairly easy, but it's hard for me to think, okay, if I went through a different process to arrive at results, what would that process be? That, that's, yeah. that's probably my biggest challenge in, in writing. I've been trying to do more of that, more of alternate viewpoints. Also because it's a fairly obscure thing. I mean, um, you know, if you want to know more about how police work is done, ask a policeman. If you want to know more about how, you know, forensics work, study forensics. If you want to know more about some kind of scientific field, it's it's there. It's available to, to learn about. But the process of why people think the way they do and how they reach their decisions, you know, psychology is a softer science than, than many other ones, very subjective between people. And it makes it hard to, to get universal uh, principles of thought and, and action, despite lots of really good work by a number of psychiatrists and psychologists and uh, economists and things like that that have uh, tried to answer these questions and make, make uh, models that, that fit. Right. Yeah. So uh, that's what's difficult about mm -hmm. rational fiction. Uh, what do you think the easy parts are? <laughs> the easy parts... Um, I would say the feedback I get and editing based off of it, because entertaining people is at least, it's fairly subjective. Some people will like what you write, some people won't like what you write. Hopefully you can just write the best story you can, and, and some people will enjoy it. But did I communicate an idea well enough for people to understand it? Did I integrate knowledge well enough for it not to break immersion? Uh, some, some subjectivity there still, but there's still guiding posts I can put for how well I'm doing, and that makes it easier for me than to focus and edit and uh, achieve goals in writing. Okay. Yeah. I think for me, explaining things I find easy and gratifying. I uh, was going to be, when I was in college, I was going to be a teacher for a while because I always enjoyed that part of it. I enjoyed tutoring. I enjoyed getting concepts across to people. And I don't think there's terribly much of that if you're writing, if you're not writing rationally. Right. Yeah, just teaching in general I find very rewarding uh, in my day-to-day -day life, in my role as a therapist sometimes when it's called for, things like that. Do you have a um, perspective on the growth of the rational writing community? Like, do you think it's it's something that rationalists in general would be focused on it, or interested in it, or do you think it's something that is going to be gaining more popularity, is going to be gaining more um, of an audience than the initial rationalist community? Uh, I think it'll, to some extent, has gone beyond that. Because occasionally <laughs> there will be posts on uh, the rational subreddit, and people will be like, well, what's less wrong? Mm -hmm. And they just don't. Right. They don't know. I think right now the the big thing in the like Tumblrverse and on Facebook and other places is that people are now rationalist adjacent rather than rationalist qua rationalist, mm -hmm. right? They sort of identify with that spirit or that community, but they don't want to go the full distance. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of like the uh huh. Good. And uh, in science fiction, there's a this division of hard science fiction and and soft science fiction. And I think that's to some extent a proxy for rational as, as we understand it in this genre. And so I think there's a demand that goes outside of that. It's just a matter of people finding it and understanding it. And we don't really have that firm a set of community norms or genre norms right now. Mm -hmm. It's mostly just in terms of the stuff that's been published and that people have read and that 
these things are all sort of clustered together. Right. I was thinking kind of the same thing with science as, as a thing. You know, those scientists who perform science, those people who work like engineers or people who study scientific principles or make use of scientific findings to do their day-to-day work and might be more scientifically minded than, than the general population. But there's also many, many people who are not scientists, have never done any kind of scientific work, but they value what they believe, at least, science is. They value the scientific um, worldview. They, they value the science science as a culture, kind of. Um, sometimes not to very great outcomes. You know, there's, there was a Facebook page um, I've every so often become aware of because of my friends on Facebook called um, I Fucking Love Science yeah. or something like that, yeah. And many of the things that show up on that Facebook page, not only not scientific, but kind of should not even be in the same... Uh, Venn diagram as anything scientific. Right. Um, but it's still a kind of a nice... Yeah, I am uh, 30 years old now, and I'm definitely one of the big beneficiaries of geekdom becoming cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I think science does benefit, like science in general does benefit mm-hmm. from geekdom being cool, but a lot of that is surface level, that people don't right. people don't actually love science as it is. Yeah, no, science is hard. Yeah. They enjoy the idea of science or things that stimulate that part of their brain where science mm-hmm. might go. And people like being right. Yeah. Um, people like being on the right side of uh, cultural issues. People like being able to say, well, my beliefs are backed by science and all the top scientists believe what I believe. So obviously I'm, I'm better or I'm doing um, a better job of uh, filtering my beliefs. Uh, without necessarily doing the hard work of making sure that's actually true. Right. Um, and the same can be said in a rational movement or rationality. There's many people who are doing the hard work and want to better themselves and want to improve their rationality, and that's great. And there's lots of people who appreciate all those things and are kind of rational adjacent, like you said, which is also great. And hopefully some of those people move further into understanding rationality and becoming rationalists to some degree themselves. And as long as more and more people value what rationality is. I think that's the best overall benefit. Yeah, and a a lot of people come to rational fictions because that's the kind of fiction that they like. They like that thinky fiction. Mm -hmm. And that's that's fine. I don't begrudge that. That's that's great. More readers. So more people also thinking about media in in a way that can be beneficial. Yeah. And there's a clear hunger for more cerebral media, or media that focuses more on knowledge rather than action, even if it's only superficial, like Sherlock on BBC, uh, Limitless and its smart characters. House is actually a much better example. Yeah. They have the character of the super know-it-all. Not necessarily rational works, not necessarily rationalists in those in those works, um, but still valuing intelligence and figuring things out, yeah. which is ostensibly good. So what do you think the benefits of rational writing or rational rationality as a genre of fiction. Is there something that you hope for for the rational movement or the rational writing community? Um, I really enjoy the analytical mindset. I think that's a very helpful thing to have. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people are completely uncritical in their beliefs. I get into this argument online a lot where people just will go with their tribal affiliations and like a vote, whatever, or they'll something will happen in the world and they'll immediately come out and just make this uncritical statement that's based on their pre-existing beliefs. Right. And if we can just 
tamp that down a tiny bit, I would be incredibly pleased if people would just take a moment and think, well, things are complex. Yeah, things are complex. What do I know? Why do I think I know it? Raising the sandy waterline, as I believe how it's been referred to by others like the Beijing Conspiracy Podcast and um, Yudkowsky and others in the Les Wong community. And whatever work that rational fiction can do in raising the sandy waterline is something that I hope you know gets done and is one of the reasons that I, I think it's valuable as a pursuit um, above and beyond all the general things that I think are valuable about fiction in general. Yeah. One of the things that I really like about rational fiction is the deconstruction and reconstruction aspect, that that method of looking at fiction and how fiction itself works and taking that apart, taking apart that artistic license. Yeah. Um, and a big part of that are tropes. Yeah. Um, and we'll be talking about that next time. For those of you not familiar with tvtropes.org, the website... Um, it's probably one of the most time-consuming but well worth the experience websites that I know of. Uh, you can get lost there just reading about all your favorite shows and books and, and pieces of media and the tropes that they have in common and what they mean. Yeah. So um, that'll be next time. Uh, tropes, what they are, how to use them, uh, which ones to avoid. <laughs> and um, which ones rational fiction sometimes can fall into itself as a genre. Yeah. All right, thanks for listening, and hope you tune in next time. Okay. Bye.